Hello there, I'm Tyler Griffin, and this is Scripture Study Insights by Scripture Central. Today, 2 Nephi chapters 6 through 10. And if you look at all of the chapters of Scripture, there are a couple of places where you get some chapters that just really stand out as far as helping us to understand our relationship to God, our relationship to Jesus Christ. And these chapters that we're going to cover today definitely fall on a very short list of those shining shining stars in our scriptural canon. It's all about a relationship. A relationship between God and Jesus Christ and us. Any relationship has these these two parts. There are things that I put into the relationship and there are things that I get out of the relationship. There are things that God puts in and there are things that he will get out. And as you study these chapters this week or, or today, pay close attention to this little dynamic in your scripture study of even, even to this point, even the very act of reading these chapters or one chapter or one verse or however much you happen to read, instead of seeing it as something that you're doing on the side, see it as something that you're putting into the relationship where you're trying to come to know God better, trying to understand what he has put into this capacity for you to come together with him and to discover more of his laws, his promises, his warnings, his directions, and feel like it's more of a relationship building experience rather than a checkbox saying, yeah, I read my scripture so I don't need to feel guilty about not, not doing what I'm supposed to do today. It's a completely different relationship when, when it becomes more of this covenantal connection rather than a transactional, because I read my scriptures now, God better give me this blessing that I'm desiring. That's, that's not as healthy of a way to approach a relationship as it is to go in saying, God's thoughts and ways are higher than mine. I want to figure out what he has in store for me and I want to give him my life. I want to give him my love. I want to give him my loyalty and my, my energy. Everything that he's given to me, I want to give it back. So, with that, let's jump in and watch Jacob as he does just that, exactly what we just got through describing. So, if you jump into chapter 6 through 10, what you'll notice is there's this same pattern that you get a prophet who is going to give you an introduction to a topic, a principle, a doctrine, or in this case, some Isaiah chapters. Then you get, you get a couple of verses, five verses in chapter 6 from Isaiah, and then you get 7 and 8 are all from Isaiah. Jacob's just going to be quoting them to the people. And then you get 9 through 10, which is Jacob's commentary. 
So again, let's not be uh, anxious or frustrated with how sometimes it's difficult to understand Isaiah, but look at what God has provided to us to help us unlock more of the meaning, to discover more of our relationship with him within the context of this, uh, these Isaiah passages. And by looking at what Jacob says about Isaiah before he reads it and then what he says about Isaiah after he read it, it helps you unlock some of the more difficult passages that are within that uh, or those chapters. So let's jump in. Verse 1, the words of Jacob, the brother of Nephi, which he spake unto the people of Nephi. It's possible that that verse um, could have also been put in as a heading for the chapter. You'll see that in a, in a couple of other places in the Book of Mormon, where instead of having it be a verse, it's written by the original authors, in this case Nephi, who's scribing what's going on with his brother Jacob, um, that would have probably been a better heading. So, you look at verse 2, the beginning of his speech, Behold, my beloved brethren, I, Jacob, having been called of God and ordained after the manner of his holy order, and having been consecrated by my brother Nephi, unto whom you look as a king or a protector, and on whom you depend for safety, behold, you know that I have spoken unto you exceedingly many things. So, for starters, Jacob is invoking, look, I am not here on my own. I'm here speaking to you because Nephi, unto whom you look as the king, the protector, and in, in our context, the prophet, he's appointed me to do this, but more importantly, I've been called of God. So, in helping us come into a relationship with God, what does he do? He calls prophets, he calls teachers, he calls priests as Jacob and Joseph have been ordained by Nephi to do. And so, there are all these resources, and now we're going to get scripture and past prophets coming into this, this mix, all which are things that God has put into or invested into the relationship with you. Of course, the biggest gift that God has invested in this relationship is his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, and the Savior is going to show up everywhere in these chapters, as well as in all of the scriptures. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That is, that is the single biggest thing, and Jesus gave his very life, his infinite atonement, which is a central feature of this speech that Jacob is going to give to the people. So, you jump down to verse 4, and it says, And now, behold, I would speak unto you concerning things which are and which are to come, wherefore I will read you the words of Isaiah. And they are the words which my brother has desired that I should speak unto you. I speak unto you for your sakes, that you may learn and glorify the name of your God. He's trying to help us deepen our connection with God and to learn the name. You're, you're going to find that uh, the name is revealed to him of how the Savior is going to be referred uh, in, in our day as Christ. That will come in chapter 10 after he reads Isaiah, which I like that. The more we immerse in Isaiah and in the words of scriptures, the words of the prophets, 
the more we come to learn and glorify the name of our God. Which, a little distinction here, everybody is invited to bear testimony of Jesus Christ, but it's prophets, seers, and revelators. It's, it's the apostles who have this special mission to bear witness of the name of Jesus Christ in all the world. And that's – so I guess what I'm saying here is Jacob is taking on kind of this apostolic role with the people, uh, referring to learning and glorifying the name of our God. So, verse 5, he tells you, the words which I shall read are they which Isaiah spake concerning all the house of Israel. So then he goes on to say, look, because you're of the house of Israel, you can liken these words to you. There are so many layers and levels of likening that you are going to find in these chapters today. Just because you're not a Nephite doesn't mean you can't read the exact same words and find incredible abilities to liken these words to you and to see your story, which will deepen your relationship with God today on these pages. So now, let's jump in. Verse 6 and 7 are the first two verses that are now being quoted by Jacob from Isaiah. And these words should ring a little bit of a bell. You've heard these before in the Book of Mormon. Verse 6 and 7 says, And now these are the words, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will set up mine hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people. And then he goes on to talk about how the Gentile kings and the queens will be the nursing fathers and the nursing mothers to the house of Israel, bringing them home. Well, this quote comes from Isaiah chapter 49. And Isaiah 49, the entire chapter was quoted by Nephi back in 1 Nephi chapter 21. Chapter 20 and 21 was Isaiah 48 and Isaiah 49. So this is a repeat. He's talking about how the Gentiles will be carry the, the house of Israel on their shoulders and be their nursing fathers and nursing mothers. Um, this has been fulfilled multiple times at multiple levels over multiple dispensations and years going back. Cyrus of Persia was the first one to fulfill this prophecy in 539 BC when he brings the children of Israel back into Jerusalem after they've been exiled in Babylon. And it's going to happen again in a variety of other ways, and we can liken it to our day today as we go out and assist in this great gathering effort that President Nelson has told us is the most important work happening in all the earth, and there's nothing more, more valuable that we could spend our time assisting the Lord in than gathering these people. Why? So that we can gather them into a relationship with God and with us and grow these, th this Zion uh, feel and literally to build up the kingdom of God on the earth. So, notice what happens. He quotes two verses, 6 and 7, and then verse 8 he says, and now I, Jacob, would speak somewhat concerning these words. So if the Isaiah passage in chapter 6, verse 7 and, or 6 and 7 
if you find it any, any, if you find difficulty in interpreting it, then just look at how Jacob the prophet, who's reading it to the people, look at how he interprets it. He gives you all kinds of commentary in, in verse 8 through 15. He's describing what that means and what the Gentiles are going to do and how God is going to bless the Gentiles. And instead of just reading it as a history book, what if we read it as a handbook of instruction for us today to say, hmm, I want those promises, I want those blessings, I want that relationship with God. So it's not about checking boxes and jumping through hoops or jumping over hurdles in order to try to get somewhere. It's about a relationship where I find myself in the safety of this, this connection with God, with Jesus Christ, because I'm, I'm striving to rely more on him. And you can see his attributes, his characteristics everywhere on this page as Jacob's talking about this. So, verse 8 through 15 in your study, you can read those as Jacob's interpretation and see how they are likened to your story. So, I, I, love, I love the setup here in Isaiah 49 for now what comes in Isaiah 50, which is what he's going to, to uh, lead out with in chapter 7. Yea, thus saith the Lord. So, picture Jesus Christ speaking these words directly to you. Have I put thee away, or have I cast thee off forever? Now watch what happens. You get these couplets. With Isaiah, you get two tellings of the same thing, usually with symbols involved. So this symbolic repetition. Watch how many times that happens in verse 1. Have I put thee away? Have I cast thee off forever? Now here comes another one. For thus saith the Lord, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? To whom have I put thee away? Or to which of my creditors have I sold you? Yea, to whom have I sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have ye sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. So instead of looking at this as, oh no, my life is so bad because all these terrible things are happening and, and it must be because God, God doesn't care for me anymore. He's saying, have I, have I put you off? H have I given you a, a bill of divorcement? Have I sold you to somebody else? I'm in a permanent relationship with you. God does not break covenants. Jesus Christ is a covenant keeper, not just a covenant maker, but a covenant keeper. And he won't let anybody uh, fall through the cracks because of his neglect or because he cuts them off. He gives you the, the reason why sometimes we feel distant. Verse 2, wherefore when I came there was no man, when I called, yea, there was none to answer. O house of Israel, is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? He's asking these rhetorical questions saying, look, I, I am not forsaking you. And then the rest of the chapter, he gives these promises of how you can liken this, this covenantal relationship from Isaiah's day into our day today. Isaiah finishes this chapter, chapter 50, that now Jacob is quoting here, 
with two verses that are often uh, sometimes hard to understand. Look at verse 10. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servants, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? He's asking a question, but sometimes people miss the question mark, and they, it makes it feel almost as if they're being told, look, if you, if you follow the Lord and the voice of his servants, then you're going to walk in darkness and have no light. You're just going to have to walk by complete faith alone without being able to see anything. That question mark at the end is beautiful because it gives you this context of saying, look, show me somebody who follows the Lord and listens to the voice of his servants who's walking in the dark. And then verse 11, behold, all ye that kindle fire and that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks which ye have kindled. In other words, if you choose not to walk in the light of the Lord, you can try to kindle your own fire, but what's the outcome? This shall ye have of mine hand, ye shall lie down in sorrow. It won't last. There is nothing this world has to offer you that will last. It will, those sparks, those little flames of, of uh, people agreeing with you, of, of whatever teachings or doctrines or ideals or lifestyles that you feel like you've justified uh, to a certain degree and you're walking in that light that you've kindled, he says, you're going to lie down in sorrow. Why? Because you are not in a relationship with God. You've created a relationship somewhere else with other people, with other ideals, with other laws, uh, principles, practices that are not divine truth. Now, in, in chapter 8, he, he talks about this incredible reversal of what I bring into this relationship is usually bad and how God turns those bad things into good things. So, look at verse 3. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. <laughs> Have you noticed that the scriptures don't usually say that we comfort God? It's always God who's comforting us, which means I'm bringing into this relationship discomfort. I'm bringing in anguish, trial, tribulation, and what is God giving to the relationship in this connection with me? He's giving comfort. I love how it says, he will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Oh, I love Isaiah. I love the way he speaks. It, it paints this symbolic picture of God taking the desolate trials and struggles and weakness that I bring into the relationship and he makes them fruitful. He makes them beautiful. He, make, he brings in joy and gladness and thanksgiving in the voice of melody. Where there was cacophony, now you get this melodious feeling attached. And then he says, verse 5, my righteousness is near, my salvation is gone forth. Two things he brings into the relationship, his righteousness, his salvation. In fact, some of you have probably noticed this already, starting in verse, uh, or in this chapter, look at how many times the personal pronouns of I, my, me, and mine are used describing what Christ 
is offering to us and what he's bringing. So let's look at verse 6. He invites you and me, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment, and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. So all the things that the earth has to offer you, they're going to melt away. It's, it's going to go away. But my righteousness and my salvation will never go away, because they're eternal. So if we continually think celestial, as President Nelson has invited, then we'll see the eternal nature of this covenantal relationship with Christ, that it's not fleeting like the things of this earth are. And then he tells us again, hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose hearts I have written my law. Again, the law, the commandments, aren't there to punish us. They're there to connect us in a relationship with God. And then he gives you multiple invitations to awake, awake, arise. Remember when Lehi was talking to Laman and Lemuel, he's using this awake and arise, shake off the dust and the chains. He's probably getting that from his deep study of Isaiah, because Isaiah's words have now become Lehi's words. That's, that's what prophets often do as they quote past prophets. Their, their words become their own. So the rest of chapter 8, you can just mark all of the verbs, all of the invitations or, or laws that God gives us, these abilities we have to now come into this deeper relationship with him. Now, I have spent most of the time in chapters 7 and 8 because most people, when they read chapters 6 through 10, are going to spend most of their time probably in chapter 9 and a little bit of 10, and very little in 7 and 8. So I've tried to compensate for that and give some scripture study ideas of how to connect with Christ a little bit better in those Isaiah passages, and there are a lot of incredible resources in chapter 9 and 10 that are going to connect you with the Lord covenantally. Look at verse, I'll give just a couple of examples. Verse 1, now my beloved brethren, I have read these things, that would be the Isaiah passages that have just come before, that ye might know concerning the covenants of the Lord that he has covenanted with all the house of Israel. So it's this covenant relationship that he's saying, look, I read you these so that you can know what God has offered you. That he has spoken unto the Jews by the mouth of his holy prophets, even from the beginning, down from generation to generation until the time comes, that they shall be restored to the true church and fold of God, and that they can be gathered home. So this gathering is mentioned again, and he invites them to lift up their heart and rejoice because of this connection with Christ, not because of anything the world has to offer, not because of what I have to offer, but because of what Christ has to offer us. And then he gets into this beautiful discussion of the infinite atonement. So in quick overview, you get verse 6 and 7 that, and 8 that refer to this infinite atonement, that if Jesus doesn't perform an infinite atonement, our bodies would die and crumble to Mother Earth to rise no more, verse 7. And then verse 8, if our bodies rise no more, then our spirits have to become subject unto the devil. And in verse 8 and 9, we become 
angels to the devil, and then he says, to rise no more. So the last four words of verse 7 are repeated as the last four words of verse 8. Your body will rise no more, and your spirit will rise no more. That's a two-headed monster called death and hell. And he mentions that awful monster in verse 10. Verse 8 said, oh, the wisdom of God. Verse 13, oh, how great the plan of our God. Verse 17, oh, the greatness and the justice of our God. Are you seeing these attributes, characteristics of God? These abilities that when you come into a relationship, the relationship changes you. You're not coming into the relationship just so you can be taken somewhere. You come into the relationship so that you can give and feel more love, more power, more knowledge, and to be able to help others to come into that as well. Can you see why Jacob is using this phrase, oh, how great, and oh, the goodness? So, verse 19, oh, the greatness of the mercy of God, because he delivereth his saints. Verse 20, oh, how great the holiness of our God. Verse 21, and he cometh into the world that he may save all men, if they will hearken unto his voice, for behold, he suffereth the pains of all men, yea, the pains of every living creature, both men, women, and children, who belong to the family of Adam. Brothers and sisters, when you're in a true covenantal relationship with someone, you feel empathy, you feel compassion. When they're hurting, you hurt. When they're struggling, you strengthen them. You you share the load with them. You don't just love them because of what you can get out of them. You love them because of what you can experience together. That's the beauty of a marriage, the beauty of a family, the beauty of a true companionship, the, the beauty of this covenant relationship with God is that these resources, these abilities, these capacities become shared. They become ours. There are three levels in a relationship. It's me, it's thee, and it's we. So instead of staying in the what's in it for me level or in the play the martyr role, okay, what's in it for thee? I won't take anything out of it. The relationship power is that it becomes all about we. It's not just me and it's not just the, it's what's happening for us in this relationship and and how are we growing together. And I love, I love chapter nine because it helps me feel more the reality of what Christ has to offer. And it's not just the the beautiful uh, O statements. He then shifts into these these dreadful woe statements because there are other things trying to pull you and me in other directions. So notice he says that verse 28, Oh, the cunning plan of that evil one. Oh, the vainness and the frailties and the foolishness of men. For when they are learned, they think they are wise, and they hearken not unto the counsels of God, for they set it aside, supposing they know of themselves. Wherefore, their wisdom is foolishness, and it profiteth them not, and they shall perish. So if we think that because we know some things, we're learned, that we now no longer need God and his wisdom or what the prophets are telling us. He's saying you, you're going, it's, it's going to profit you not and it's, you're going to perish. 
Verse 29, but to be learned is good if, you could circle the word if, this is a beautiful conditional statement, if they hearken under the counsels of God. God doesn't want you in a covenant relationship saying, I don't need to study my scriptures, I don't need to learn languages and, and cultures and things that, that God wants me to learn, I'm just going to sit back and relax in this relationship. No, he wants you to be learned, but he wants you to hearken unto the counsels of God. And then he gives you some other people or other temptations. The rich who despise the poor and persecute the meek, people whose money has become their God, they're now in a relationship, a transactional relationship with that money and it has become their God. It's replaced that relationship, that covenantal relationship here. Verse 31, the people who refuse to hear the words of the Lord, the people who refuse to look to God, and it, it keeps going. Then the, you get multiple woes all the way down to through verse 38. And then in the rest, you get these invitations of therefore what? What should I do to not fall into these forbidden paths or strange roads that would lead me away from a covenant relationship with, with God? And if you read the rest of the chapter, pay attention. He's going to say things like verse 45, where, oh, my beloved brethren, turn away from your sins. Shake off the chains. Verse 46, prepare your souls for that glorious day. Verse 50, Come, my brethren, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come, buy, and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Don't spend money for that which is of no worth, nor your labor, nor labor for that which cannot satisfy. Jacob, this great prophet, is inviting us to, to just stay laser-locked, focused, on our relationship connection with Jesus Christ through the covenant that he offers us. And then he says, okay, I'm tired. We're going to finish this talk tomorrow. Uh, Verse 54 tells you that he'll declare the remainder of his words on the morrow. Amen. And then chapter 10, if you read chapter 10, pay attention to how he describes the land that God has given to these Nephites the land of their possessions in order to help them fulfill all parts of that covenant. So in chapter 10, verse 3, he says, Wherefore, as I said unto you, it must needs be expedient that Christ, for in the last night the angel spake unto me, that this should be his name. Don't you love that? Jacob gave this great talk to the people. He read them two chapters and and six, five verses from Isaiah the day before said, tomorrow I'll finish my message. He went home that night, an angel comes to him and shares with him that the name should be Christ. And then he comes back and finishes his his address, having learned that new piece of information. I love that. Uh, As we immerse in the scriptures, Jesus Christ and what he has done for us should become more and more clear. The Lord will reveal things to us, and it's a process. It takes time. 
and it's not until chapter 25 that Nephi is going to, to have revealed to him that the full name by which he's going to be known is Jesus Christ. So here you get Christ in verse 3, and 2 Nephi 25 gives you the complete name, Jesus Christ, which is right after Nephi has read to the people or given that huge block of Isaiah chapter 2 through chapter 14, uh, the, what we call the, the big Isaiah block in the Book of Mormon, and right after that he learns the name of Jesus Christ. Now, to f finish off, go to verse 24, wherefore, my beloved brethren, reconcile yourselves to the will of God and not to the will of the devil and the flesh, and remember, after ye are reconciled un unto God, that it is only in and through the grace of God that ye are saved. Don't think that by you coming into this relationship saves you because of what you did. It's only after you've reconciled yourself to God, you've entered into this covenant connection with him, it's only by grace that you are saved. I love that. I love the Lord. I love what he offers to us. And what a beautiful opportunity for each of us now to move forward, whether, whether you're facing death, whether you're facing disease, whether you're facing loss of, of work or loss of relationships with other people or whatever the struggle might be to recognize don't turn to these other sources that the world has to offer us. Turn to God. Look to Jesus Christ and look to the scriptures as a means whereby you can find those covenantal connections with him and he will bless your life in ways that none of these earthly resources can. May the Lord bless each of us in our efforts, not just to come into this covenant relationship more fully with Jesus Christ, but to do a better job of helping others recognize God's power, his goodness, his mercy, his grace, and bring them with you into that covenant relationship with him. And as we do, it will strengthen your relationship and your covenant relationship with them as well. And I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Know that you're loved. The Come Follow Me program is an incredible resource to aid your gospel study. There are many supplementary Come Follow Me video programs within the church. These videos should never be a replacement for your own personal and family study. As this video finishes, we encourage you to open your scriptures and begin studying the sacred words written there. If you need additional resources to enhance your study of the scriptures, please check out the Gospel Learning app from Scripture Central. You can search just about any topic in the Gospel that you can think of and find a number of videos to help enhance your understanding. We are certain these learning paths will deepen your desire to follow Christ. The Gospel Explorer feature within the app was created with the Come Follow Me program in mind. Let's explore the learning paths in the Gospel Learning app this week. On the left path, we dive into the topic of prophets quoting the words of past prophets. This helps build our faith that God is continually guiding us and speaking to us through his living prophets. The middle pathway goes in depth on the atonement of Jesus Christ. 
This pathway splits into two sections, one on the understanding the redemptive power of the atonement of Jesus Christ, and the second one taking a look into the physical nature of Christ's sacrifice. The last pathway explores the hopeful message of the gospel, which Jacob shares with us, as well as his prophetic warnings if we fail to keep the commandments of God. Thanks for watching with us. We hope you become a more devoted disciple through immersing yourselves more fully in the scriptures each day. Thank you.